Wasn't that an awesome video? And I just wanted to say thank you to those of you who are continuing to find ways to give. Um, those of you who are still writing checks and sending them in, thank you. And especially for those of you who found the, the, on the website, you can give online. It's a great way to continue to support the ministry that we're doing. Um, and really for those of you who are still serving and finding ways to do that, um, we want to continue to do that. We need to continue to do that as well as being as responsible as we can to not spread this thing. We have to continue to spread hope. And so I'm just so thrilled to be a part of a church that's trying to do that and to see people um, step up and, and some who have more time than they normally do um, to find ways to just love people and to pass on the message of hope. So um, yeah, just so thankful for that. And um, if you have been missing the fact that we did the, didn't do the Easter egg hunt this year. Well, Pastor Jeremy and Courtney, they, uh, they got creative this week and they put together a virtual egg hunt. So if you go to our website, uh, Bethel-Church.com, you can actually go through and do a virtual egg hunt where you see pictures of the rooms and there's eggs and you have to count them. So kids, uh, you didn't miss out. And there will be prizes given away. You'll have to fill out a little form after you count the eggs. And so you can follow the instructions on the website. But over the next couple days, or over the April 11th and 12th, um, you can go ahead and, and do that. So that's, that's available to you. And so hopefully you can go and participate in that and have fun with it. Um, today we will not be doing communion as a church family. Uh, but I just wanted to show you a few pictures of families who have been doing that over the last uh, few weeks. Um, and you can just see the different things that people have gotten creative with coming up with communion elements. And though we won't be doing that today as a church family, if you have the stuff in your house, feel free after the gathering's over to go ahead and take a, take a moment and, and to receive communion with your family. There's nothing that says that you have to only do it when the pastor does it. So feel free to do that and, and celebrate what Jesus has done. At the end of the gathering today, you're going to see a, a highlight, a, a video of a, of a group called Northwest Coralons. It's from Northwest University, and they're going to be singing a song in a really cool way as they're practicing their social distancing. So maybe during that, you could get your communion stuff and do it. Um, but today is a special day. Today is the day that we celebrate the most significant, the greatest day in the history of the world. Uh, it's different. It's strange, right? We're not all together. Um, but the, the, the fact that we're celebrating is still so significant. And it's still just as important and just as real as it has ever been. On the third day after Jesus was crucified, his followers were cast down and they felt abandoned because they didn't fully understand why Jesus had come. See, it's hard for me sometimes to imagine what that would have been like, but Mary Magdalene, who was one of the, the gals that was following Jesus, she went to the tomb early on that Sunday morning to, to, um, treat Je to go and visit Jesus' body. And when she got there, the stone had been rolled away. So she ran and told Peter and John. And they had a foot race to the tomb. If you read the, the account in John's gospel, uh, they ran as fast as they could. John won, Peter got there second. But they got there and the tomb was open and they went in and they found no body. The grave clothes sitting there. It's hard for me. It's, it's, it's impossible for me to imagine what that have felt like. To, to try and fathom that though is important because I think it, it helps solidify the excitement and the anticipation that this would have built in them as they walked in. Jesus, didn't, Jesus was like messing with them. He didn't just show up and say, hey guys, I'm here. 
They walk in and they see the grave clothes folded. All of a sudden, this, this light bulb, this just overwhelming tidal wave of emotion starts to take root in them as they recall all the things that Jesus had done and all the things that they said. And so they run back and they, and they continue to wait and they're, and they're waiting. Mary gets to actually encounter Jesus. Jesus comes to Mary first. And then later that evening, Jesus shows up in a locked room with the disciples and he, and he declares to them, he makes it very obvious that he is risen from the dead. That Jesus had come not to fulfill their hopes and dreams of Israel being uh, restored to power, of ending Roman rule, which even the disciples had, had hoped for. Jesus had another mission, a bigger enemy to tackle that they still had wrestled with and they still didn't fully understand. And it's something that our world still doesn't fully understand, that God's answer to death is found in an empty tomb. The most unjust and brutal death in the history of the world resulted in so much joy that the people who witnessed it lived such lives of joy and grace and generosity that the world is still talking about it today. And this is God's plan. This is what we celebrate on this weekend. The events of Good Friday should have caused Jesus' followers to be downcast. They should have left them in, a, in fear and anxiety. But that's not what we see as you look back on history. They lived the opposite to that. And they, didn't, they weren't angry at the people that had killed Jesus. They wanted them to know the good news. See, our world desperately needs the message of the resurrection. Our world desperately needs the message of the resurrection. Today, more than ever. The world has changed in a lot of ways since then, and we have made a lot of advancements, but we still haven't figured out a way to outsmart death. And so the masterstroke of God's plan and his genius still remains a mystery to billions of people on the planet. And yet, if you're listening to this today, you've heard the good news. Jesus died on a cross to cleanse us from our sins and he was resurrected to show us the hope of eternal life. See, we can't outsmart death None of our medical advancements, none of our uh, scientific advancements are going to end death. But God's plan, God's plan is genius because it takes us right through death to resurrection. With everything that's going on in our world right now, this message is more important than ever. My mind's often been drawn to a passage in the book of Romans that has to be one of my favorites, and it's probably one of your favorites if you've read it. Uh, it outlines so much of what we see happening. Not specifically, but in general. It describes the reality of the world that we live in. And it also describes the hope that we feel as those who have trusted in Jesus. So we're going to go there today. This, is, this passage is found in Romans chapter 8. And it starts in verse 18. And I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This passage outlines the struggle that our world is facing as as we see around us. The world is groaning. Never before in the history of the world have we seen such a clear picture of the world collectively groaning. There have been wars and natural disasters and there have been other diseases. But with the global news and connectivity, uh, we are more connected than ever and nearly every country in the world is talking and groaning about coronavirus. Even if it weren't for the coronavirus, people all around the world are suffering. And even when things seem to be going well for most people, if you look deeper, underneath there are those that have forgotten. There are issues that that we don't want to think about, but they show us that our world is broken and groaning. Things like sex trafficking, things like domestic violence, things uh, like poverty uh, shows us our world is broken and we're living in a broken world. We see in Romans this, this picture of a world that's groaning. Paul uses the image of childbirth. In the message translation, it talks about how uh, it's, it's like a, a woman who is getting more and more pregnant, bigger and bigger, and then going through this immense pain, groaning. And we see it in our world. See, there's a massive difference between the way that the world groans and the way that we as those who trust in Jesus groan. This passage says that we groan too. Even those who have the Holy Spirit, we still groan. We're still waiting. We're still waiting and looking in hope. Because of what Jesus has done, we know we have a clear picture of that hope, but we still groan through this life. But we see this, this contrast in the world around us. There's a huge difference between those who groan in the world without hope and those who groan with hope. See, we all suffer. But for those who are being saved, it's like birthing a child. Now, being a man, <laughs> I will never know what that feels like. I've now gone through that with my wife on a couple of different occasions. There's so much discomfort. And what I watched my wife go through, what I watched Kayla go through this past year, was illustration enough for me. In fact, I've invited Kayla to share with us just a few thoughts about her experience and the meaning of our struggles in relation to this passage. Eight months ago, I was very uncomfortable. I was pregnant with two babies on bed rest. And, you know, some of us can now relate a little bit more to that, um, being completely homebound and limited in what you can do, um, limited in who you see. And I know for me, the hardest part of that was not being able to pick up my daughter and get to, getting to play with her. Um, 
as I think back, I, I know it was physically, mentally, emotionally, one of the most agonizing experiences. And there was a lot of anxiety involved and it felt like it was going on forever. And yet I was also anxious because I wanted to keep these boys healthy um, and inside my body for as long as I could. And yet, um, reflecting back on that and even the labor and the delivery, um, of both boys, I know it was so painful and it still blurs in comparison to that moment of getting to meet them. And I think that's why I like that, um, passage in Romans eight so much where Paul says that he considers that the present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it feels so true in this illustration that he uses about all of creation um, being compared to waiting and suffering like this pregnant woman who is bringing her child into the world. Because truly, all of that suffering and all of that pain was ultimately serving a purpose and came to fruition with all that joy that there was when I got to hold my boys together for the first time after they were born. I remember that moment. It was in the NICU about 24 hours after um, Lewis and Knox were born. And um, Knox was placed on my chest for the first time. And then his brother, Lewis, who I had held in my arms many times prior to that for the um, first you know, day of his life. Um, but I, finally got them both on my chest at the, at the same time when we were reunited. Um, and it was, it was absolutely amazing. And I, I think that this image is so fitting, um, when Paul talks about this, because it reminds me that all of the suffering and all of the hard things that we go through in this life ultimately are pointing to an even greater joy that that moment that I experienced with Lewis and Knox and with my daughter even a couple years ago is just an echo of. And in light of Easter too, this illustration also makes me think of the most beautiful truth that Jesus himself endured so much agony and so much suffering and he did it ultimately for that joy ahead of him of being able to hold you and I close to him, his kids. And there's just, there's no greater joy or hope than that truth. She's a pretty gifted communicator. Thought about letting her just preach the whole sermon. Uh, but nonetheless, here I am. But there isn't anything in the world that a man that I've ever experienced that's anything like what women go through in childbirth. Specifically, when I think about what Kayla went through, I guess the closest thing that, that I've experienced is I, I had a kidney stone, um, and I'm not comparing the two, but you know, as I was thinking about it, you know, a kidney, a kidney stone is what, it's this immense pain, but when you get done with it, you end up with nothing. It's just completely pointless. You, so you go through all this pain for no reason. And as I was thinking about that, it kind of relates, it kind of illustrates, illustrates the difference between the pain and struggles of the world and those 
who trust Jesus. See, if, if we aren't trusting Jesus, all the pain and suffering we go through only produces the equivalent of a piece of calcified kidney byproduct. <laughs> but if we trust the Lord, all our pain and suffering will result in the joy of new life through the power and grace of God. We're both going to suffer. The world suffers and, and we, believers, we struggle, we suffer, we endure pain. But for us, because of what Jesus has done, that pain now produces in us a joy. A joy that's, that's almost too much to even describe. That joy that, that even though I didn't go through childbirth, I got to experience a part of that and getting to hold my kids for the first time. It's, it's, unme- it's unmeasurable. And yet, if we're not trusting God, if we don't have that hope, it's like a kidney stone. <laughs> I know that sounds really silly, but that just struck me this week as I was thinking about this. This is why Romans 8 is one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. See, we're all going to go through pain. What is going to come out of that pain depends on whether or not we look to Jesus and are trusting him. There's so much reality to that. To that, And there's so much hope. Hope that on the other side of all of this, all the pain that we go through, just like there is in childbirth, there's going to be a joy that's incomparable to the pain that we've felt. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of what he's done. See, the world groans and we groan. The fact is Jesus groaned too. He came, God in flesh, came to walk through this life. Scripture says that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that he understood what it was like to suffer, that he groaned. And there's no comparison game when it comes to suffering, the, the suffering of Jesus. And I've been around situations where gals compare stories of childbirth, and it's like, oh yeah, I was in labor for 52 hours, and it was the most painful thing and and they can do this comparison thing or like I've had a kidney stone and I'll tell somebody about it and they'll be like oh yeah you only had a kidney stone I had I've had 15 kidney stones and they're all so big that they had to be blasted by lasers but when it comes to Jesus suffering there's nobody that tops it there's no there's no pain that could be endured that could be more than that because it wasn't just a physical pain he endured in one week the agony of betrayal as one of his closest friends handed him over. That even those who said that they would go with him to the cross, Peter said, I will follow you even if it means my own death, betrayed him and turned from him. The people that had cried out, they had said, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Those who had come and heard him speak, who had, he, had seen his miracles and his healings, They cried out for a murderer named Barabbas. And then they called out, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus endured betrayal. Then he endured suffering, agony, excruciating pain. As he went through the the events of Good Friday. There's nothing that can compare to that. He was abandoned. He was stricken for our transgressions. And we know that he went willingly through all of that. He went willingly. He signed up for it. He took the pain for us. You see, 
pain during childbirth was a byproduct of the fall of man. Had Adam and Eve not sinned, procreation would have had, would probably have been a lot less painful. I don't really know what that's like. But there's an illustration in Jesus' pain and suffering that he took the curse for us. As we even think about this passage in Romans, that Jesus took the curse for us. That he went through this agony. He endured it. He willingly did it. Just like, in most cases, mom and dad willingly, moms willingly sign up for that. I've heard people say, you know, when they're in the midst of childbirthing, they'll say, they'll look at their husband and say, <laughs> they'll get mad at them and say, you did this to me. Jesus doesn't do that. In the midst of his agony, he doesn't look at the world and say, you did this to me. He said, I go willingly. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This curse of pain and suffering wants to produce nothing but death, but Jesus became that curse. He took on all of it on himself. In, in an act like a mother giving birth to her precious child through pain and agony, Jesus' pain and agony gave new life to the children of God. His agony produced new life for us. It's absolutely stunning that we get to be recipients of that. His agony produced two key historic events that give us all kinds of hope. It gives all kinds of hope to the people who, who trust in him, who are called, as, as Paul writes it, the sons of God. And, and Paul's terminology there, that word means sons and daughters. It's the family of God. We, are, we get to experience this hope that Jesus gave us in these two historic events. The first one happened on Good Friday as Jesus lay hanging on the cross. The scriptures say in Matthew 27, 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The curtain was torn, this curtain in the temple of God, this, this temple that God instructed them to build as a symbol of relationship with him that there was an area of the temple that was off limits to anyone but the high priest and he only entered it on specific occasions to offer sacrifices. That if he went in there in the wrong way, at the wrong time, or in an unholy manner, he would be struck dead. In fact, they tied a rope around him when he went into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, so that if his body stopped moving, they could pull him out. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins, the thing that separated us from God, he took it on his body on the cross. He took our punishment for us. So the scripture says that the, that the curtain, the veil was torn. And it's very clear that it was torn from top to bottom. This, thing, this curtain, it was like a foot thick, not like this piece of paper. And it was 30 feet high. Not something that, that could have just fallen apart, not something that any human could have torn. See, even if I were to go in there and try to tear it, I would have had to have started from the bottom. But it says that it tore from the top down. There's only one person, one being that could do that, and that was God. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, representing the freedom that God was unleashing on the earth of his presence that through what Jesus has done, we can now have access to the presence of God in this life. 
And that's what we believe. We believe that because of what Jesus has done, we now have relationship with God in a new way, even while we're here. It's great hope for us that, that all the things that we've done wrong, all the brokenness that we experience doesn't keep us from God anymore. In this world that we're living in right now where we're being forced to socially isolate, where we're being forced to separate from one another, there's an illustration of sin in that. And that what Jesus did was he ended the isolation. That even though we're all separate, we're connected through the presence of God. That he is with you in your home right now, even if you're on your own. That he's with us because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And it's absolutely stunning. So we can be thankful that Jesus' agony produced this fruit. Do you often think about the reality of God's presence with you? Would your interactions with others exemplify the grace of God that you have received? These are a couple questions that you can think about this week to give you an opportunity to take inventory of of how you've been living in relationship to God and what he's done. If not, if, if, if your life isn't exemplifying this grace, if your life isn't being lived out as though you know that you have the presence of God with you, don't beat yourself up. Don't fall into shame. Let today be a day that you say, I want to trust Jesus. I want to let him in. I want to acknowledge that his presence is with me. I want to live a life that's different. I want him to change me because he can start that right now. And wouldn't it be amazing is if, if you went back, when you go back to work and when you see your friends again, they're like, who are you? Let me tell you, God did something in my life through social isolation because his presence is with me. The second key historic event that Jesus brought forth through his agony is the empty tomb. It was an empty tomb that morning. This just shows us that death is not final. That we can not only experience the presence of God in this life, which Jesus purchased for us on the cross, but this tells us that because of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, we can experience the presence of God and the joy and the, and of being in his presence for all eternity. That God loves us so much that he went through that. That God loves us and wants to be with us just like a mom who's longed to see and hold her child for the first time. It's sometimes it's very difficult for me to imagine that, that Jesus feels that way about me. That he, that, that like when I held my kids for the first time, that overwhelming emotion of being together is the same thing that God feels towards his children. That he wants to be with you forever. It's absolutely incredible. And the empty tomb makes this declaration to us. That even though we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, just like we talked about last week, we can fear no evil for he's with us. And he has gone before us. And he has forged a path through death to eternal life. And so we can give thanks to God for that. And we see it written on the pages of scripture throughout the history of the people of Israel through the New Testament. 
that his loving kindness endures forever. It says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. It says in Romans 5, 8, that he shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All this so that he could experience that kind of joy. We need to contemplate that because we can oftentimes just kind of drift through this life and we don't take the moments to engage our brain to the, to the recognition of God's desire for you. It's not just he wants to do something for you. He desires to be with you. And he does that for us too. Unlike a baby who is held by its parents for the first time, doesn't have much say in it, doesn't experience joy. When we're, when we're united with Christ, we, he is happy, he's joyful, but we get to participate in that as well. And that's why Romans 8, 18 says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is no joy or pain that is comparable to the joy and glory that will be ours on the day that we see Jesus face to face. And while we're going to suffer here, it's not worth comparing to the glory and joy of that future day. It doesn't make light of our pain. It doesn't, we aren't to make light of the pain of the people that in our lives or the world around us. We don't trivialize death. But we have hope. And our world needs to see it. They need to see the significance, not just of an Easter holiday, but of the significance of an empty tomb in the lives of people who've been impacted by Jesus. They need to see it. They need to see it that when we talk about our pain and suffering, we don't diminish it, but we talk about it as if it's, it's, like, a, <laughs> it, it, it's like labor pains into experiencing joy like none other. As I was talking with Kayla about this this week, she's, as she's like, what was it like when I was pregnant? What was it like when I went through this? Because on the other side of it, for, for her, it was like she had to like make herself remember how uncomfortable it was because of the joy of experiencing holding her children. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that tells us that it was the joy set before him, before Jesus, it was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Like a mother who was willing to go through the pain of pregnancy and childbirth to be with that child, to bring forth that new life, and to experience that joy, Jesus did that for us. So the resurrection means, <laughs> no matter what, it will be worth following Jesus. No matter what, that we get to experience joy like never before. And I know that we get, to even, we get to see that here in this life. As I've been talking to people throughout this quarantine time, throughout, even though we're separate, just hearing people's stories of the ways that they've seen God moving in their lives. When we willingly participate with God in this, when we trust him, he turns the pain and suffering into things that, are, are good for us. It's things that are producing fruit in our lives, even though some of the stuff that people are going through is incredibly difficult. And that's the joy that's ours. Here, because the veil is torn, the presence of God is with us, and forevermore, 
because the tomb is empty and Jesus is risen, we will be with him forever. He has brought us new life. He is, and it's, Jesus even described it as being born again. When he's talking to uh, one of the high priests, Nicodemus, he, he tells him about being born again. And Nicodemus is like, what does that even mean? Being born again is being born into the presence of God to be in, in relationship with God in a new way. And it's only made possible through the blood, the work, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's invited us into this new life that he gets to experience joy and that we get to participate in that joy as well. And that's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the fact that we get to be born into the family of God because of what Jesus has done. And that not only do we get to experience that in this life as his presence is with us, but we get to celebrate for all eternity. And man, can I tell you that this time has made me so much more excited about that than ever before because I miss you guys like crazy. And you know what? There are a lot of people all around the world that are missing their church family. But there's going to be a day when we won't be missing anymore. And not only that, but we get to be in the presence of God for eternity with one another, with the family of God. We'll get to experience that. And I look forward to that so much. I also look forward to the day that we get to gather again. And I get to give hugs and I get to see your smiling faces. But it's all just a picture, an image of the reality that one day, because of what Jesus has done, there is a hope that's out there that we have not fully seen yet that will be ours, to be with him forever, to see him face to face. And that's why we celebrate this morning, today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your plan, a plan that has baffled people. They don't fully understand it. Even those who are the most scholarly in the, in the history of the Jewish people, they could not picture your plan, that it would be a Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who would come, who would live a humble, meek life, healing, doing miracles, demonstrating the power in the kingdom of God, but ultimately that that would lead to death on our behalf, that you would take on your body on the cross the brokenness and sin and shame of mankind so that we could be united with you, that the, the curtain could be torn. And I pray for those who have not experienced that, that they're still living this life of groaning, but this groaning is futile. It's not producing any life in them. It's only producing pain. God, I pray that right now as they are, are engaged in this gathering, that they would open their hearts and open their minds to see the beauty of the cross, and that you have removed the shame and brokenness of our lives so that you could be with us. I pray that that reality would become true for someone. And ultimately, God, for all of us, we are so thankful for that. We're so thankful that you didn't stay dead, that you walked out of the grave. And that because of that, we will be with you. And we know it, that this life is not all that there is, and that you have a plan, even through death, to unite us with you. So I pray, God, that that reality would just, just anchor our souls even in the midst of all the challenges that you are producing in us an even greater glory 
an even greater joy when we get back together again and ultimately when we get to be with you forever that it won't even be comparable to what we go through on this life. So I thank you for that, God, and I just, I just praise you and we just give you so much honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now you're going to hear some stories from some people whose lives have been impacted by the life of Jesus. And then we're going to sing and we're going to worship him. Join us.